And so when I go out into the world, it's funny because I open my mouth and I'm just an American in some countries, you know what I'm saying? Not to say yeah. that they necessarily see blackness, but the first thing they hear is American. I'm an American. Um, so in some parts of the world, I don't even really have to deal with my blackness as much as even I would say I have to deal with it here in the U.S. Because <laughs> for them, it's just like they're so excited to be talking to an American or being able to ask questions about the U.S. From somewhere around the world, welcome to the Black Women Travel Podcast. Hi, my name is Wanda Duncan, and I'm so glad you're joining me as we explore the paths of black women who've made travel a large part of their lives. Welcome to the show. Can you please tell us what your name is, where you're from, your current location, and the name of your business? My name is Moni Boyce. Um, I currently live in Suffolk, Virginia. Um, I grew up a military brat, so the question, like, where am I from, is always one of those where I, like, pause to figure out where I want to say. Yeah. Um, but you consider Los Angeles home. It's where I went to college and where I spent 16 years of my life. So out of the 39 years I've been alive, it's the longest place I lived. And um, so I consider that home. Um, the name of my business, well, there's two technically. One is my travel blog, which is called She Wanders the Globe. And then I am also a romance author of contemporary and paranormal romance. So then it's just my name. I write under my own name, Moni Boyce. Work. Okay, so um, I met you through the Black Women Digital Nomad Entrepreneurs Group on Facebook. Yes. And when I started looking around at Miss Moni, ma'am... <laughs> <laughs> You are booked and busy for real, for real. And I'm so extremely excited. So I, I wrote some notes down and one of the largest notes is hair. <laughs> <laughs> I know everybody. It's funny. Um, I remember uh, last year I went to um, the TravelCon conference and it was funny because I had been telling people, I was like, oh, just look for the black chick with the fro. Um, and I don't think, and it was funny because I almost got braids right before that, but thank God I didn't. Because mm -hmm. it was literally how most people knew me. And it was funny because everybody was like, I would meet people and they're like, how do you know everybody here? And I was like, no, it's not that. I was like, I did a lot of talking in the forums beforehand. <laughs> and because I introduced myself as the black chick with the fro, everybody knew my name. So it was actually kind of a good networking tool slash calling card, having the big hair because everybody already <laughs> knew me even before I got to the event. Um, so it was actually quite great, that actually. So... So, yeah, I um, actually haven't even been um, natural, I want to say, for maybe the last five years. Yes, because I stalked you. So. Yes. so I used to do the creamy crack back in the day, like about five years ago, and then decided to go natural. I didn't do a big chop like a lot of people do, I actually, which I kind of wish I had done because it was literally torture for a year and a half, having like the in-between and then trying to figure out what to do. Yes. Uh, when I finally did go, like, I want to just rock the fro, rock the natural curls. Um, I still ended up having to cut some off because at that point I had 
been wearing it still kind of straight. And so the ends had been conditioned. So I still had to chop off like three inches. Um, and I have like super shrinkage. So, <laughs> so it's yeah. funny. I haven't since now I've probably had the fro now for three years. Um, I haven't like straightened it at all. So I don't know my actual length really without maybe kind of pulling on it. It's like past my shoulders, but yeah, I'm kind of scared to blow it out. <laughs> it looks so full and like healthy. It looks like really radiant. Like um, oh I saw, yes, I saw a picture of you with the perm and you just look like so much more full of life. Like this hair looks like you, if that makes any sense, coming no, from a complete stranger. <laughs> I've had so many people who don't know me, people that do and have seen like pictures of me with the the permed hair and now this, and I've had a lot of people actually tell me that. And I have to say, um, when I first went natural, it was very uncomfortable. I definitely lost a lot of my confidence. You know, society makes you feel like the straight hair is the only like beauty standard. And I went through a period of just a lot of kind of like self-doubt, kind of like, oh, I don't know if I want to keep doing this. I don't know if I feel pretty. And then in 2015, it was, so at that point, I'd probably had maybe the fro for about six months. And then my sister and I took a trip to Egypt. And when I say that that trip gave me life, it yes. gave me so much confidence in, in my hair and black beauty. Um, it was amazing because so many people there, I mean, I still have this one picture that's like probably one of my favorites that I ended up taking with like 15 Egyptian schoolgirls that like mobbed us when we went to this temple um, uh -huh. that were, they were just so in love with our hair and they wanted pictures with us. And it was funny because there's like these Asian tourists and other people around. And I think they thought that we were famous. So after they got a picture, then everybody wanted pictures with us. But for the schoolgirls, it was literally because of our hair. Um, you know, they were all wearing kind of like the hijabs and things like that. And, um, you know, so they were like hair covered. And there we are walking around, both me and my, I'm a twin, so there's two of us then looking like with big froze walking around this temple. <laughs> um, and so it was really, that really gave me a love. I came back with a, a love of self, a love of, you know, my natural beauty that, you know, you grow up and especially working in an industry like film where it's so much about um, the facade and what you look like. It was so nice to have that people everywhere. And I mean, not just even the women, even the men, you know, would stop us and be like, oh, my God, I love your hair. And it was just like this thing that just like it's like God knew what I needed. <laughs> so, so it was the the in in America, in California specifically, when you grew your hair out, you said the first six months, it felt really uncomfortable. You lost your self-confidence. And then you yeah. and your twin took that trip and what was it the affirmations of others that helped you to see what other I people think saw a little bit because it's hard not to live in Los Angeles like I'll use that as a case not just so much the U.S. but it's it's hard to live in Los Angeles and not have a sense of like looks or what people think is mm. beautiful and that kind of thing even though for me you know I worked 16 years on the other side of the camera I was I'm not an actress I was a producer and like production coordinator and things like that there's still you know standards you walk around Los Angeles most of these people you know work out like 24/7 eat like super duper healthy <laughs> 
and you know, and I'm not like a size two. <laughs> and then here I am rocking my fro. And it was, you know, you start to have a lot of insecurities, especially living your life for the first 30 some odd years, you know, with the, you know, what people consider, you know, beautiful, the straight hair, you know, and then I go to the, you know what, for lack of better words, kinky coily or whatever you want to call it, my natural hair. Mm -hmm. And, you know, most people, you know, you never know what people are thinking because they're never really, most people aren't going to say that out of their mouth. And then again, I work in an industry where it's predominantly white and I'm usually the only, um, you know, so you just never know. And there's, you know, that bit of insecurity that creeps in because everywhere you look and everything, every magazine you pick up tells you what's beautiful. And mm -hmm. even if you've never felt that way before, when you make a major change like that, especially for a black woman, our hair is very sacred to us. Yes. <laughs> so when you make a, such a huge change, um, you know, for a while I was, I was very insecure about it. I mean, I probably didn't show it on the outside because I'm very good at covering up <laughs> things. Um, but inside I was very insecure about it. So when you got back to the States, Oh, I was like, this is me. Hello. <laughs> it was literally like a complete change. Um, and I think it was just one of those things where I don't know how to describe it, really. It was kind of like kicking myself in the butt a little bit. Like, why do you you've never really cared what other people thought before? Why now? Mm -hmm. um, and so I just had to kind of embrace like myself again a little bit more and just remember like you know that this was about me it wasn't about somebody thinking you know that I looked cute or anything like that but about what I wanted and what made me feel comfortable and this makes me feel comfortable and did your sister go natural the same time as you my sister's such a copycat <laughs> <laughs> well I mean like literally because y'all are twins so I don't know who was first, but yeah, literally, like I was the first one. We actually, well, I would say we actually did do this one kind of together. But normally, in the past, when it comes to hair, my sister <laughs> every single time. And if she ever listens to this, Desi, you know I'm telling the truth. Anybody that knows us will say because <laughs> when we were like in high school, I remember I chopped off all my hair. Then she was like, "Oh, you look cute. I'm going to do the same thing." She chopped off all her hair. Rude. Yes. And then I colored my hair at one point when we were like, maybe like, I want to say like a little bit before I actually decided to go natural. And then she saw the color and was like, oh, I like that. And then got the same exact color. I was <laughs> my, my friends literally had to be like, okay, I think you just have to let it go. And I'm like, you guys aren't the ones that have to walk around <laughs> like anybody else. We share a face. Basically, <laughs> you don't have to walk around with somebody copying your every move. <laughs> but now, now it's kind of nice. I mean, we both have froze, and so it's funny when we take pictures together. People see us together because um, I don't always see it. Like as a twin, of course, people think I I'm crazy when I say that. But I don't like look at her and instantly see myself. So it's not till I sometimes uh -huh. see us in photos um, that I'm like, wow, we really do look alike. <laughs> Because you're not identical, correct? We are identical. I just oh. don't think our faces. Um, and after we finish today, I'll have to send you a picture so you can see the two of us together. Okay. Um, but I don't think, I don't know. For me, it's like I don't look at her and see myself unless I'm looking at pictures where we might have had our hair alike. Or I know we have like very similar mannerisms when we laugh. Like even my mom sometimes when she talks to us on the phone can still get us um mixed up because our voices are very similar and our laugh is very similar 
Okay. <laughs> so speaking of hair, though, I noticed that um, hello, Amazon top-selling author, Miss Moni. <laughs> Thank you. Your main character, Willow, in your paranormal series, Awakened, uh, also has natural hair, much like yours. Yes. <laughs> I, that so that was a conscious, a, yeah. Yeah, that was a very conscious choice. Funny enough, um, uh, if you know anything about book cover design or just, you know, um, first of all, it's very hard. Um, and I was very disheartened making this cover at the beginning because it was very hard finding cover models that were black and especially in this genre. I mean, it was almost impossible. Yeah. Um, and so it was kind of like, oh my God, what am I going to do? I felt like, you know, I was never going to find what I was looking for. Thankfully, I found the cover model, but the hair we actually pulled from somewhere else. So that's not that model's hair. Um, so shout out to Mallory Rock, who did the cover design, because she was amazing in making it look like that hair belonged on her head. <laughs> um, you know, I sent her pictures of what I wanted the hair to look like. And I was like, I really don't want Cause her hair, I think was like straight and up in a ponytail or something originally. And I was just like, that's not how I envision this character and not how I have it written in the book. Um, and so she worked with me, you know, and I'm very meticulous, um, when it comes to details. <laughs> so I always try to warn people in advance, like I get into the weeds, like I am very nitpicky. <laughs> I'm sure um, that helped in your, yeah, in your film like, career. Yeah, oh yeah, exactly. I mean, as a producer, I had to be about the details. And so I'm still about the details when it comes to creating my books. Um, and so she was very great to work with and got me exactly what I wanted. Um, so yeah, no, that was a conscious effort only because too, I just feel like, um, even sometimes when we do see black women on the cover and again, nothing wrong with having straight hair because I had it for a long time, but I want us to embrace our natural and what God gave us. You know what I'm saying? So I wanted people to see this girl on this cover and be like, oh my God, she's got, you know, natural hair because I think natural hair is beautiful. I mean, I think black hair period is beautiful. Whether you decide to put a weave in it, you know, put a wig on it, put braids in it whatever, our hair is so versatile that I wanted to be able to just show that because you don't often get a chance to see that on the cover of a book. Most of the time, it's still kind of like, you know, wavy and straight, but I wanted to show the natural curls. And so this genre of um, writing, it is specifically, is it sci-fi? Uh, it's so funny. It's... um. There are so many subgenres in romance and oh. like the overall term, there's like three major categories and then it starts getting into really um, specific like, niche markets than that. But essentially you have, when it comes to this area, you've got sci-fi, paranormal and urban fantasy. Okay. And then from there, like I said, it devolves even further into like, it might be shifters, it might be wizards and you know, whatever. There's so many, I think last time I checked, Amazon has something like 50 plus subgenres with underneath all of those wow. that you, you like get into. Um, and so it's one of those things where you just have to be very good with keywords in your blurbs and really like what you're trying to sell to people um, because they're really, but really the book could be lumped into like all of those. Um, but normally I say paranormal. <laughs> Okay, but, but some people might say, oh, it's urban fantasy and, you know, it's just right. one of those where it's kind of interchangeable. Right. 
And so, um, in Awakened, this is your second novel, correct? Yes. Um, the main character, Willow, is an oracle. So, like, the only... Uh, the only authors I'm familiar with their work uh, is maybe Octavia Butler. Yes. And there are some others that just aren't coming to mind right now. <laughs> no, well, that's so, there are so many people out there, trust me. It's hard to keep track of, like, because there's so yes. many great authors that write, um, you know, in so many genres. And Octavia Butler certainly is, you know, like, the pinnacle of, like, yes. sci-fi, urban fantasy, and all of that. And there's some really great people that have since come along, like, um, I believe Leslie Penelope, I think I'm saying the name right. Um, I had the pleasure of meeting her at RWA last year, and her writing is phenomenal. Um, she writes in that same genre, the urban fantasy sci-fi, um, and has been doing extremely well. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, there are a lot of great writers in that category, and I definitely don't claim to be on the level of either of them. Um, I'm definitely just getting started in, in this genre. Um, it was one of those things because like the first book was contemporary romance. Um, and then I had this idea for this paranormal that I wanted to turn into a series um, in my head because of my film background. I It's like a TV show running through my head. So that's kind of how I wrote it um, <laughs> in terms of like short scenes um, and, you know, just the dialogue, like, moving on like it's not you know there's not a lot of like breathing room. <laughs> okay so it's fast paced like that okay yes so willow is an oracle can yeah. you talk a little bit about that like what does it mean for you to write her as an oracle what does being an oracle I, mean to you well you know as much as i love a lot of the other kind of paranormal romances out there i kind of wanted it to be a little bit different than some of the other things i was seeing in the market um so i didn't write completely to market in terms of doing like a you know shifter romance or you know the faded mates and those kinds of things which are really popular um i wanted it to be something different something like other um i liked the idea that there was this family of women that each generation this gift got passed down that they um you know were able to see the future and okay. while yes the argument can be made that like witches or things like that can see but i'm like this is the world that i built so in my world she's <laughs> the only one that's capable of seeing like the future um and different things like that and there's other aspects to her that i introduce later on in the book as well but um i was kind of fascinated with her learning, waking up one day and learning that she had this gift and then how it affects her life. Um, and then just even her trying to use it. Um, you know, there are a lot of books that usually you kind of jump in and either they already are that person or they know it. And I wanted it to be something where she's got to like learn as she, as she goes, it's like on the job training, you know, she doesn't just instantly have it or she can't just instantly see the future. It's like, she's got to learn how to use this gift that she has. Um, and so I like the idea of us being on this journey with her and seeing her grow into this, like, being that, you know, everybody sees her as, but she doesn't really quite see herself that way yet. So do you identify to that story? Like, uh, do you identify to, did I just say that? Do you <laughs> identify with, like, is that, um, is that I part of your journey as well? I think there's a little bit of Willow that I identify with because I'm one of those people that, like, for instance, with writing, um, 
you know, everybody, I remember I finished the first book um, actually back in 2016, and then I left to go travel. And so it sat for a while, and everybody's like, well, when are you going to publish? I know you wrote a book. And for me, it's one of those things where I don't like to, um, excuse me, I'm about to say because word, I don't like to half-ass things. Mm-hmm. And so I was like, well, no, I want to come back and, like, learn about self-publishing. I knew from being an indie filmmaker, I knew I wanted to self-publish right off the bat. Um, I wasn't going to, like, sit here and query and send out and nothing wrong with that. Everybody has what works for them. Mm-hmm. I'm that person. I like to know all the ins and outs of what I'm getting involved in. So when I came back from my year of travel, I literally, like, immersed myself in learning marketing and self-publishing and trying to start getting into craft um more and more now i'm getting into learn even more about my craft and i don't think that's one thing that will ever finish um because i i love learning and obviously learning how to write better is something that every writer should want because you want your work to be better than what it was in the previous book um but you know i spent a lot of time like learning that before i actually released which is why my first book didn't actually hit the shelves literally until like earlier this year i published the first book in January um, because I wanted to know that I was putting it out right. I didn't want to just dump a book on Amazon and be like, oh, it's out. I hadn't done any marketing, no advertising. Nobody knew about it. You know, and for me, it's like I want to make this a full-time career. And the only way to do that is to understand the business of it. Um, So much going back now that I did my old roundabout there, I do see similarities between us because I'm that person that will get out there and try to learn. I'll get frustrated at times, but I don't mind, you know, being the newbie or like, oh, I've got to figure this out. Like, I'm going to figure this out. I don't care how long it takes me, but I'm going to figure it out. And that's kind of how Willow is. It's like she gets frustrated and learning something that she feels like should be like her birthright. And so you'll see her get frustrated, but she doesn't quit. And so I'm kind of the same way. I get frustrated, but I won't quit. (laughs) Yes. So you spent three years, you said, specifically learning marketing and learning how to be a better writer, the business side of writing. Well, I will say this. I won't say one of those years I wasn't learning anything. I was strictly just traveling. The plan was to work on that thing. Um, But literally, like, I left Los Angeles in June of 2016 to, um, I'd sold everything I owned and I left to go travel for a, a year full time. Um, the plan was to work on the book while I was away, but that did not happen. I was so enamored by just being able to just be out in the world and not really have any obligations, responsibilities that I just enjoyed life. I actually, to be quite honest at that time, I needed a little self care. Um, I had had a business that like I closed after five years. I had gotten divorced within the last five years. Um, And then the film industry is just an industry that doesn't love you back. It is constant work. Usually you're working anywhere from 12 to 18 hours a day. And as a producer or coordinator, you're usually not even getting a break. Um, So I was usually going back and forth between film related um, productions or events um, and anybody who's ever worked events will tell you that literally there's not like a day off. So most of the time I was working like for up to six months at a time, literally without a break. And then between jobs, I would usually go take a month off and go somewhere and then come back and get right back into it. So having a full year where I got to just take care of myself, <laughs> um, was amazing. 
Wow, that sounds like extremely intense. Yes. So having, you did grow up uh, with a military family, correct? Yes, I did. So you were used to being all around the States or did you also travel internationally as a family? Yeah, we traveled. We lived over in Germany from the time I was two till I was um, eight years old. Um, And, you know, even when we lived over there, I remember traveling to places like Belgium and we went to Paris. Um, So my whole family, we're all travelers. So that's been ingrained in me since um, growing up that way in a family where, you know, you knew like, you know, every two years possibly you could move. Thankfully for us, it was usually like every four to six we moved. Um, so Germany was someplace I lived as a child, and then mostly it was the States. I was born in California, moved to Austin, Texas, then Germany, then to uh, Abilene, Texas, then Virginia was where I spent half of middle school and all of high school before I left here to go to Los Angeles to attend the University of Southern California. Okay. And so as as someone who had travel as already kind of a a part of your life every you said 4 to 6 years um how did you see travel as self-care then it so was you were, mm-hmm. I'm sorry go ahead finish I'm sorry no no you're fine go ahead um travel for me especially when I took the before that well before I took the full year off travel was a way for me to just like unwind so usually after a job um my twin sister is usually my travel buddy so usually her and I would schedule um start scheduling like months in advance when I knew I was gonna be done with a project um like where we wanted to go because we knew we were gonna want to spend like a month away um and so we would start planning and buying tickets and paying for pieces here and there and everything like that and for me it was just a way to kind of decompress um, after a job, because I mean, it can be very stressful. You're, you know, especially in film, you're dealing with a lot of personalities. You can't always say what you want to say. Um, your time's not your own. Um, there's nobody looking out for you, especially as a producer. It's like, you're looking out for everybody else. You're trying to make sure everybody else is covered, but it's kind of a thankless job. I mean, I love it. And there are days I miss it. Um, because I just love, I love putting together a budget. I love, I love putting together the moving pieces and seeing this amazing project that took like hundreds if not thousands sometimes of people to make happen, like come together. I still, even after 16 years, as jaded as I am about some aspects after being in the film industry, I still sit in a movie theater and I'm in awe at the end because I know what it took to make that. And I know the the different personalities, the stories that you'll never hear probably told out loud. Um, you know, the knockdown drag outs that happen. Um, and, and I'm always just in awe. I've loved film ever since I was a little girl. I mean, my parents used to have to force us outside because we'd want to stay in and watch, you know, a movie. <laughs> um, and so, like, I'm still in love. It's still my first love. I just, for me, I'm pushing 40 next year. I want a lifestyle that I'm going to be able to, like, enjoy my life. <laughs> Um, not to say film is completely off the table, but just at this point, going back into it, I want it to be on my own terms. Um, and who knows, maybe one of my books will get me there. (laughs) Absolutely. That's, that's, that would be an interesting convergence of your, your passions. Yes. Yes. So you and your sister. So, okay. You graduated from 
the University of California, correct? Southern California. Yes. Okay. And then after that, you worked in the industry for a while, but you and your sister and another partner eventually ended up creating your own production and post-production company. Yes, we did. It was called Greenhouse Studios that lasted for about five years. And then and the went, business mm -hmm. changed, and so we had to change which, it with, which meant closing our doors. It literally went from being the post-production side of film went from being a machine-based business to an application-based business, which opened up the doors for a lot of people. So if you had brick and mortar and a lot of employees, you were now basically going to be in the red. And that's essentially how we found ourselves, which is why it was like, before this gets too crazy, let's go ahead and close. I mean, companies that had been in business 30 years were closing their doors. So we saw the writing on the wall. Okay. And so you went from... Uh, producing short films to feature film films in that five years, correct? Yes. And I actually, because that's actually how we came about um, with our partner, my sister and I, we produced a film with him. And then um, we had some of the post-production on that that kept going sideways. And we didn't like the idea of being beholden to somebody else to finish our movie, which is how the Greenhouse Studios was born. We wanted more control mm -hmm. over finishing our films. Yes. Um, and being able to help others finish their films, because that's the thing. A lot of people will raise money to shoot their movie and then be sitting with the movie that's unfinished because they don't have the means to like edit and color correct and do the sound and all those things. Um, so a lot of times we would get people coming to us looking for us to give like equity by doing some things, you know, uh, without charging them up front. And so it was definitely one of those things of, you know, having to pick and choose projects where we would do that kind of thing. Yeah, because it's like, it's an investment at that point. Yes. Okay. Okay, so the story gets better. <laughs> <laughs> so you take you take this year-long trip, and then, and then what? What happens after you take this year to travel and, like, unwind and go into this next phase? You know, I, because originally when I left and, you know, I, I'm always of a mind, like, I, I knew there was a possibility that I would change my mind, which is why I literally sold everything before I left. And uh, right. of course, all friends and family were like, but you're going to come back, right? And I was like, well, as of right now, yeah. But I was like, I don't know what's going to happen while I'm out there for a year. Um, the thing was, as my year was winding down, I realized that I didn't want to necessarily come back and get into the life that I had literally left. Um I didn't want to come back and jump right into film, jump right back into a life that wasn't taking care of me. Um, so I decided to, I wanted to write more. Actually, while I was gone, what I had started doing was ghostwriting. Um, so I was ghostwriting novels for other people. That's how I was making um, some of my money while I was traveling. And I realized that I actually wanted to focus on starting a writing career under my own name. Um, so I like called up my parents and I was like, well, I'm about to like, you know, this trip is about to be over soon. And I was broke <laughs> and I wanted to focus on writing. And I was just like, if I go back to LA, I'll have to like be working in the industry to be able to afford to live in LA without needing like a gazillion roommates. And again, that would mean 16, 18 hour days. It was like, when would I write if that was the case? So, like I said, called up my parents and was like, hey, is it okay if I come home for a little while because I want to focus on, you know, learning more about this? 
And I was like, and I need time, um, you know, so they were amenable to having me partly, you know, that was because obviously they hadn't seen me in like a year. And, you know, for the last 16 years, I'd lived on the West Coast where it was I would literally see them maybe for a week at Thanksgiving, maybe a week at Christmas. And occasionally they might come there or I come here for, you know, if I, depending what was going on, but, you know, I didn't see them regularly. So they were all for me coming home. Um, so I literally sat at my computer, take paying and taking different courses, we're still doing ghostwriting as well as trying to polish the first book that I was going to put out. Um, but just really like learning and gleaning everything I could about writing and marketing. And so that's where, like, I literally became like a hermit. Like, I think I was home for a little while and some of my friends were like, I didn't even know you were back in Virginia. I was like, that's because I've literally been sitting in front of a computer, like, for months. <laughs> I'm, I'm in school. I can't play. Sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, it was literally like eat, sleep, breathe, um, learning how to do this. Because I was just, I'm that person, like, I, if I'm going to do it, I want to do it right and I want to do it well. Um, and so for me, it was very important to learn, you know, it's like, I knew the first book, you know, I didn't have a reader base yet. So it was like, what do I need to do to get people interested? What do I need to, you know? Um, so I was just really like immersing myself in that. I wanted to be successful. Um, you know, and like I said, I want to get to a point where I'm like, oh, I don't have any other side hustle, you know, books are it. Um, and so I just recently, two months ago, finished with my last ghostwriting client. So I'm not doing ghostwriting at all anymore. I'm just purely focusing on my own writing. And so that feels good to be able to do that. Um, you know, I thankful ghostwriting paid very well for, you know, like the last, like what, almost two years for me. Um, but you know, and it's not so much wanting to see, you know, my own name so much in writing, but the thing is, it's like, you don't, I enjoy, I'm a storyteller. I like telling stories and I, you know, have like a laundry list full of them that I want to write. And when you're constantly having to write somebody else's story and you don't get to do your own, it, you know, it was the same in film as a producer. I'm helping somebody else tell their stories. It's like, now I want to tell my own. Yes. Um, I found it funny. I looked on your travel site shewanderstheglobe.com and I saw you had the frequently asked questions and your very first question was how do you pay for travel (laughs) (laughs) you said that people were asking you so much girl let me just put this on my website because well because in my pockets (laughs) yeah especially when you travel you're in other countries like a lot of people in other countries assume that just like all Americans are wealthy and I'm like well we're not (laughs) um you know, when I left because I'd sold everything and then I obviously had savings, I was able to not work for like the first six months of traveling. And the thing is, and even like I would talk to people back here, like other Americans I'd meet on the road while travel tra- while traveling and they think the same thing. And I'm like, no, I'm like, you have to understand. I was like the U.S. dollar when you exchange it in most other countries, the exchange rate is amazing. So like, say if I'm in Thailand, like I have friends who live in Thailand you can live like a king on the U.S. dollar in Thailand. So it's all about managing your money properly and visiting the right spots so that you can travel for longer, I feel like. Um, Not to say, like, you know, I obviously hit up some places that were a little bit more expensive when we were in Europe, but I just didn't live there. Um, Because there were a lot of places that I would make, like, a home base. Like, for instance, when I first came into... um, into Europe and we were leaving the U.S., we uh, stayed in Prague for three months. So Prague was my home base. 
And then I was able to travel to like Italy, Hungary, and a lot of other places, but Prague was cheap. And so like I could keep a place there and still hop around without it, you know, breaking my pocket. Yes. Uh, so for me, it was just about like managing my money well so that I could travel longer. So like I said, for the first six months, I was okay. After that, I was, I knew I, at six months, like I would need to have something going on that would then start to contribute to, um, to, you know, my income. Um, now, like right now, I don't travel as much as I would like only because I am so focused on the writing, but like, I just recently hit Toronto for a week. My sister and I did our birthday up there. Yeah, and then, like, I have some other trips planned, like, both domestic and international for later this year, and part of it's just, I know the sites to use and look on, you know, I'm always looking for a deal, because whether I have the money or not doesn't mean I necessarily want to spend, like, you know, top dollar for it, so I'm always looking for the deal. Um, I obviously always get my miles, like, whether I'm staying someplace, I'm like, oh, you got miles for that? Um, So I always always get my miles. You know, that's one thing I'll tell people, like, sometimes somebody's like, what do I get you as a gift? Give me some miles. Buy me some miles. (laughs) 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 Because for me, it's like, you know, some people, like, they like, you know, things. Like, I know plenty of people that, you know, they love shoes. They love purses. I'm not that girl. I'm like, where is that $100 going to get me? Where is that, you know, whatever? Where can that take me? (laughs) So for me, it's all about where can I go? Um... So, yeah, I mean, I just budget and I plan for it. Um, Right now, that has to work around my writing schedule because I have myself on a deadline to get the next books in the series done. So um, after I do a writing conference in July, then I'll head to Los Angeles for a little bit to visit some friends. And then I already have a Mexico trip planned for December. But then I'm trying to fit in some other things in between that. Um, so no, I love to travel. That's like my life right now. So for me, I'm more of a minimalist these days. Like I don't need a big, you know, space to live or whatever. Cause most of the time I'm just writing and then I want to be somewhere else. So. So your travel style, uh, you, it sounds like you tend to move from home base to home base and then explore from your home base. Yes, I, I do. I've done some of every type of travel, short term, like the quick trips, like literally one, I will say that I wouldn't do again. Like I remember 2015, my sister and I did a month of travel or it might've been more like three, three and a half weeks, but we hit so many places that it was very exhausting. We did Egypt, let's see, it was Morocco, Egypt, Jordan, Dubai, and then two days of Moscow. And we did that. And like I said, three and a half, four weeks. It was exhausting. I wouldn't do that again. <laughs> it was too many places to see in too little time. Um, because as you know from traveling internationally, so much of the time spent in airports and on a plane, like, you know, um, it's just a lot. And it takes a toll on you after a while um, when you're just going, 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 and there's no minute to take a break. And we're very much the type like, you know, at that trip, we were squeezing like everything in. So by the time we hit Dubai... We were exhausted. I think I saw a little bit of Dubai and then spent part of the time in the hotel room. I was so tired. Yes, yeah, sleep. <laughs> How was Dubai, girl? I don't know. I was sleep. Yeah, I mean, I think, like, one of the days I just don't even think I left the hotel room. I was exhausted. So that's one of those places I want to get back to because I don't think I saw as much as I would have liked to of Dubai. I was just really tired. 
Yeah. Um, I think that most of the ladies I talk to are like a little bit slower. Yeah. So that's why I said like for me these days, I'm kind of like, I feel like I want to go to a place and like just chill, like see some things, but not feel like I got to get it all in. Cause that Rush. trip, that, yeah, that trip definitely made us like, we're never doing this again. <laughs> like, what are we, why did we do this to ourselves? Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> it's like having too much of a good thing, like a, a big old thing of ice cream, but you have to like finish it. And it's like, why? Yeah. This used to be enjoyable. Like, why is this work right now? I literally got off the plane from that trip after being gone for like three, three and a half weeks and being on an international flight. I literally had to get home, pack a bag, return to the airport because I booked myself for a job with Getty Images that I had to be in Vegas for. It was funny because I turned to Vegas and all my coworkers were like, didn't you just get off a plane? And I was like, <laughs> yes. And I, I literally slept, thank God, like our job didn't start till like the next night. I literally slept for 15 hours. <laughs> yes. So tired. Everybody's um, so like, where are we? Girl, you are yeah. tripping. <laughs> where are don't, we? Don't do that to yourself. <laughs> Um, also something that I noticed from your website is she wanders the globe, um, dot com in your, I forget what you call it. Your secondary line is, but isn't lost. Oh, yes. I will. One of the things that's always stuck with me, there's a line that's, um, and I'm sure you maybe have even heard it everywhere you go, there you are. And I think a lot of times, you know, because some people used to or, you know, I remember I once got asked, like, what are you running from um, when I was traveling? And at the time, I was just like, well, I don't really feel like I'm running from anything. But then when I really thought about it, I was like, yeah, you kind of are. You know, like I said, I had a lot going on before I left and I was just tired. Like, I don't think I realized how burned out I was just from working in, you know, the fast paced kind of life I was living. And. I would say not so much that I was trying to escape that, but it was nice to have this total difference than what I'd had for the last like 16 years. But I also had to remind myself that just because I was on this trip didn't mean that whatever, like I wasn't trying to deal with or not trying to face that it was just going to go away. And so I think sometimes we have to remind ourselves that, you know, that's why that line kind of stuck with me The but isn't lost because it's like, I know myself, and I know there, you know, no matter how glamorous it might look on Instagram or what we say, you know, and that kind of thing, we still have our own issues and problems that we're dealing with too. The thing is though, I'm not lost in that. I'm not, you know, I'm enjoying my life, but I'm also a realist. And so there was something that I liked about that line of, you know, not being lost. Um, because I think a lot of times people think that you travel, and especially when you travel as much as I do, or even some other people that I've met, people always assume that there's something that you're trying to get away from or, you know, whatever. And it's like, no, I was like, you know, not everybody wants the same kind of life. It's like, yes, do I want to be married and have kids? Yes. But I want that on my terms. I want to be able to still travel and take my kids traveling and see the world. I don't feel like I have to like this settled down and I use quotes around it because everybody makes it seem like you have to go have this regular nine to five, like live in the white house, you know, the house white picket fence, have 2.5 kids. And there's nothing wrong with that, but everybody doesn't want it at a certain time in their life. They don't want it in a certain order. And they certainly don't feel like it has to be this, you know, this thing of like, I've got to live in the suburbs, drive the minivan and do it this way. 
I can still have a marriage, have the 2.5 kids and decide that we're going to traipse the world the rest of our lives. Um, so for me, it was that it's like not trying to conform to what everybody else thinks that your life should be. Absolutely. Moni. Yeah, I'm sorry. I'm still here. I picked up my drink. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, <laughs> just making sure. That's fine. Is it a drink drink or like a drink? Oh, no, no, no. It's, I don't even dry. I don't drink alcohol at all. <laughs> it's just lemonade. <laughs> all right. If you say so. <laughs> Notice the disappointment in my voice. <laughs> oh, I know. Like, I just, like when I worked with the Getty Images, all my coworkers knew I didn't drink. And so... Yeah. They were always trying, and I'm just like, you guys, I just don't. I was like, you've seen me enough at, like, four in the morning when we're out, and, like, how loopy I can get. I really don't need anything else to, like, help that. <laughs> I think it's just one of those things. When somebody really enjoys something, they want the other person to enjoy it, too. Like, you don't like chocolate? Why? Why don't you like chocolate? Like, it's the best thing in the world. Just try it. Just try it. It's like, I, I have... You know, I Back and I used to. I just then it was like I drank because everybody else was drinking and I still didn't right. like it. So Peter it was just like, am I doing this? Of course, you know, I always get that you don't drink for the taste. I get, I do. So if I don't like it, I don't want. Like my whole family's like wine drinkers. They all love wine. I hate yes. the taste. <laughs> yeah, I don't trust me. They all think I'm crazy. Um, no, it's I, the what? thing. Like nobody likes alcohol. Nobody starts out liking it. It's just yeah. you drink it so much, I guess you acquire a taste for it. Like, yeah. beer is disgusting. Oh, but yeah. like There's one I thing like, I never, like, it's that. <laughs> so, like, if but you don't yeah, for take me yourself was, through that phase, yeah. The other thing for me is that I've always been kind of that, a little bit of a type A personality, so I don't, like, I already, you know, Some it was control. hard enough coming to terms with the fact that I don't control anything. <laughs> So for me, it's like the one thing that I can't control is myself, which is another reason that I don't like alcohol because I don't like not having control of myself. Mm -hmm. So that's another reason for me that I don't. So does traveling not phase you? Because there's so much of the journey that's completely because <laughs> <laughs> your grasp. I say the same thing. And I, I was like, you know, I actually kind of love the chaos and the craziness that comes with traveling. I mean... You know, I've been in airports where it's like all of a sudden it's like the flight gets canceled or it's like severely delayed and people are like going bananas around yeah. me. And I'm sitting back like, well, let me get my iPad out and catch up on this Netflix show. Uh, <laughs> 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 I, guess I have come to terms with the fact that I don't control anything like that. You know, I, I was able to come to terms with that in my 20s. So now it's just kind of like, well, okay, there's nothing I can do about it. So sitting here ranting and raving and getting upset about it isn't going to change it. Um, and so, and that's one of the things that I do love about traveling is it definitely does teach you to just have patience and tolerance and things like that. Because, I mean, there's so much, like you said, that you don't control. Most of the time you don't even speak the language. So you just kind of have to go with the flow a little bit. Um and so, you know, I definitely learned, like, that sometimes it's like, you know, you just have to roll with it. It may not be what you want or what you hoped for, but I'm also have always been a firm believer in things or what you make them. And so if I go into it kicking and screaming, I'm going to have a miserable time. If I just accept it, 
then something like amazing usually is bound to happen. And I've had plenty of those experiences where I just went with it and like then had this killer story to tell later. So, so now I'm just kind of like, yeah, it's going to be what it's going to be. <laughs> no, you're not. You're like, yeah, I'm going to make some money off of this and tell this story. That's what you're doing, ma'am. Yeah. Let's be clear. Let's be clear about your end game. But that that kind of speaks to again in my stalking you. Uh, you have two <laughs> tattoos, so that ideology kind of ties in with your tattoos. You want to share with the class? Well, I have to say that for pretty much my whole life, I was always one of those people that was very resistant to tattoos. Mm-hmm. People would probably tell you like I was like Little Miss Goody Two Shoes. Like I mean, to, I mean, like I told you, I don't drink. Like I've never even smoked weed. Mm-hmm. Um, so for a lot of people, it's very surprising when they heard that I was thinking about getting tattoos. The thing, um, part of it was one of them started out like after having been divorced for a little while, because my divorce initially wasn't something I wanted. And so it took me some time to really like get through that part of my life. And so I wanted something to kind of be able to remember to tell myself about like kind of, um, coming out the other side of it um and just you know be, I, it was funny because I felt like once I got divorced I've never met so many other divorcees in my life um you know and I was just like I don't want to be this bitter woman who's like oh all men are dogs or whatever because my divorce wasn't like that um you know I was just like I still believe in the institution of marriage I still very much I'm a hopeless romantic I still very much want to fall in love and like you know have a family have kids and all that but I realized that, you know, it's still not an easy thing to deal with, and especially when it wasn't something that I wanted in the first place. But after coming through it, I was just like, I want something to remind myself so when I have another trial or something else that's, you know, very, you know, hard, that I can endure it, that I can get through it. And so the first one, that's kind of what that symbolizes for me, is that no matter what happens, there's always hope on the other side of it. So your what does your tattoo read specifically, please? So it reads. Please do not tell me you forgot. Are you looking at your I'm shoulder? Like, what does it read? I'm like it's getting flowers like, bloom. What? So uh, does flowers, hope. So does hope. Ma'am. Yeah. So. Right. So it's like I always. That's kind of that reminder that you know there's always hope on the other side of whatever you're going through. There's hope. Because I know sometimes it's easy to get bogged down to the thing that you're dealing with. And it's, you know, when you're going through it, you know, you can hear all the, you know, whatever in the world from other people. But you have to know that there's hope on the other side. And so I remember somebody else who's kind of going through something similar recently. And I'm like, listen, I'm going to tell you the phrase fake it till you make it is not a joke. I was like, sometimes you got to wake up with the tears, wipe them out of your eyes. And tell yourself that you're going to be happy that day. I literally would put post-its on my mirror like, you're going to be happy today. I would cry like all the way to work, get out of my car and go inside. Because at that point in time, I was running a business. I couldn't afford to like not be there. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I didn't tell very many people at, at first or whatever. And it was funny because I remember like a couple of years later, the girl that had been my um, assistant, she... Um, we'd been pretty good friends or whatever, but she was like, oh my God, she was like, I have to tell you, she was like, 
around the time that you got divorced, she's like, I remember you pulling into the parking lot because we had like this big window in the break room that looked out on the parking lot. She's like, you pulled in and she's like, you were crying so horribly. I was about to go downstairs and see if you were okay. She's like, you wiped your face, came upstairs and it was like, nothing had ever happened. She's like, you went through your whole day. And she's like, because at the time, like nobody but my my sister, my business partner knew that I was, I was getting a divorce or whatever. And she's like, I just have to say, she's like, you're one of the strongest people I know because she's like, I don't think with what you're dealing with, I could have come in day after day and just like, and you know, for me, it was just one of those things where I was just like, I can't, you know, I didn't feel like I, and for lack of a better phrase or like, I'm not trying to be, you know, like, but in my, but for whatever reason, I always think like, I can't afford to be the white woman that sits at home and just like, you know, wallows in her misery and tears and whatever. I'm like, I had a business to run, I had bills to pay. Like I said, I literally would wake up, cry, cry all the way to work, dry my face, go into work, cry on the way home, probably cry myself to sleep and then wake up and do it all over again. Because it's just like, at that point in time, I did not have the you know, there wasn't somebody who's going to come in and be like, okay, you just drop out of life. You know, I mean, people get divorced every day. Um, you know, it's like, yes, it was my own personal, like, struggle to deal with. But that didn't mean I just got to stop living life or stop doing the things that sustained me. So I literally would. I would wake up in the morning, you know, after a certain point. Like, you know, I still wasn't always feeling it. But I would put those post-it notes on the mirror. Like, you're going to be happy. You know, you're going to, you know. And... After a certain point, I did start to feel happy again, you know, but part of it was I just had to keep pushing myself and I had to keep telling myself that even though I was hurting, like it was going to pass, I was going to get through it. And so is that what also led to your second tattoo? Actually, yeah, that kind of was a little bit of it because this one says, um, well, kind of has it's an abbreviation form of it, but it's God's greater than the highs and the lows. So for me, God's very important and a big part of my life. So that one meant a really big deal to me because without him, I'm pretty sure I wouldn't have gotten through the divorce as well as I did. It's funny because <laughs> certain people that like know me now and didn't know me like before, you know, when they hear that I'm divorced, I've gotten more than once. You don't seem like somebody who's been divorced. And I don't take it like, you know, I know what they're talking about because I've met those women. With, I call them the bitter Bettys because they're just so bitter by whatever the relationship did to them that they're just not even like living anymore. They're so eaten up by like their hate and their anger. And, you know, and I was just like, I'm not going to be that person because I met a lot of those women when I was going through and I refused to be that because I'm like. I still love life. I still like men. They're not, you know, I was like, the, what, you know, whatever happened was between him and I. And, you know, it didn't ruin every, you know, every other man for me. But, you know, I did. I met a lot of women like that. And I was like, I don't want to be that. <laughs> um, so I do. I get a lot of people that say that. And you know, like I said, I don't take offense because I kind of know what they're talking about. Because like I said, I've seen it. Because I didn't know you said earlier in our conversation that you wear the mask really well, like you don't let people know what you're going through. So like looking at your photos and you just have like that same smile, <laughs> like yeah. that same smile in every photo. And it's just like you said divorce and like I couldn't see it. I couldn't see the the change in your facial features and your energy or whatever. So that that is extremely interesting 
So yes. like what friends you say, and it's funny because I had this really good girlfriend who knew me a lot better than I thought that she did. Because, you know, I'm that person, like, I use, like, humor and smiling a lot to cover a lot, like, whether I'm angry or anything. And so most people are just like, oh, Moni's so bubbly. She's got this. And sometimes it's like, you don't know that I'm just trying not to smack the crap out of you. (laughs) Um, But so it was funny because I'm sitting in this meeting with my friend because we used to work together from time to time. And she's like, you guys just don't know. She's like, Moni's smiling and laughing right now, but that's not what she really means. I remember just looking at her like, how is she in my head? How does she know that about me? (laughs) You know, because for me, it's just like, I was always like, you know, you got to pick the, you know, it's like, you're going to lose some of the battles. You know, it's better to win the war than all the little insignificant battles. And so I just try not to get rattled by every little thing or let things like that, like, you know, And then also just, you know, with the divorce, um, like I said, which was probably one of the biggest, like, emotional, like, upsets that I've had in my life. You know, it was, again, it was, like, because I can remember being at my friend's, like, I was going to become godmother to, you know, one of my best friend's, like, children. And I'm, it's maybe been, like, a few weeks, and I hadn't seen this one person. She asked me how my husband was doing, and I literally broke down in tears, and she rushed me off to the bathroom, and I was like... I was just like, I don't know where that came from. I was just like, I wasn't going to cry. And then you asked the question. But yeah, I was. I was really good at like putting the good face on it. And, you know, like I said, going throughout the day, like nothing was wrong. Um, And I don't know if it was just like living, you know, you live around a lot of actors and deal with that kind of thing from day to day. You get really good at, you know, just masking the hurt or whatever it is that you're feeling, swallowing it back. And just, you know, putting on the happy face. And so that's what I did a lot. Um, you know, and I and I was telling somebody else, I wish I hadn't done that so much then. I wish I had, you know, gone to see someone, sat down and like met with a therapist and talked through my emotions instead of like trying to act like they didn't exist. Um, or at least act like they didn't exist to other people. Because obviously, like I said, I was crying a lot when I was by myself. Um, but I do wish I dealt with it in a healthier manner in terms of just talking to somebody. Um, but I have to say, like, again, because I, I know earlier I mentioned I have a strong, like, type A personality. I felt like I failed in my marriage. So the thought of having to tell somebody else that I failed or that there was something about me that he didn't like was terrifying. And it wasn't until I'd say probably like a year after that that was able to be like, I remember a family friend came to visit and she must have seen just how much I was in my head trying to figure this thing out. Like, could I have done something differently to make them stay? Like, what, you know? And and I remember we're in the store and she just grabs me by my shoulders and she kind of shook me for a second. She's like, there's nothing that you could have done. And at first I'm just looking at her and then she says it again. She's like, there's nothing that you could have done. And I just broke down crying and she's like, I see you in your head trying to figure this out. Like, it's some puzzle. Like, there's something that you could have done differently. But she's like, it was always going to happen this way. It was always ordained to go exactly how it went. And after that, that, when I really started, like, okay, I've got to live with what my life is now. Like, how do I pick this up and make myself a whole person again? And not just the... Let me put on a smile and go through the motions. So it sounds like you had like a combination of things to help you through this particular challenge. And that is your faith. And then you had uh, at least one friend who knew you really well. Yes, I did. 
and I will say, like, my friends and family knew me pretty well, but I was very tight-lipped, like, and I wouldn't discuss things with them, and so they didn't, they also know me well enough not to know to pry or, like, to keep trying to get it out of me because I only reacts, or I would only react in, like, a really awful manner because I don't, it's like, when I'm ready, I will, like, you know, talk about it, but don't try to force me. Um, and so, like, my mother was literally the only person that I spoke to about it. Um, and I won't even say I spoke to her. I would call crying and she would just listen and then I would hang up. <laughs> uh, but, um, but you know, it's like other people, um, the friend who was the one that kind of shook me, like I, that she wasn't somebody that I saw on a regular basis. So, you know, she wasn't present in my everyday. So she had flown into town for a visit and obviously could see like the, you know, she knew me well enough. Like we, she'd known me long enough to know that like clearly, I wasn't, you know, dealing with the situation in a healthy manner, which is why she like shook me in the middle of the store. <laughs> it made um, you cry in front of all them people. <laughs> yeah, you know, it was needed. Um, and because the thing is, it's like, you know, people can love you and they want to give you your space. And I appreciate the ones that did. They gave me my space. Um, you know what I'm saying? But, you know, again, I think God knows what you need when you need it, you know, um, and so I was definitely thankful for that because, you know, from then on, I started to really just like, okay, you know, I can't change what's happened. All I can do is keep moving forward. And, you know, I'm a firm believer in that, not so much revenge, because I don't have any ill feelings towards my ex-husband or anything like that. I wish him all the best, but it, it's the only phrase I can think of, but it's like, um, the best thing for revenge is to live a good life, I guess you could say. Um, and so for me, it was just like, I was going to live a good life. I wasn't going to keep being depressed and wallowing around and like, you know, shoulda, coulda, wouldas, or, you know, what was, I wanted to have a good life. I wanted to be happy. And so, you know, again, like I said, I did the post-it notes until it, you know, became, I didn't need them anymore. So what are your self-care practices now? So you, you've been through those traumatic experiences, the uh, getting the burnout from being in the film industry, um, the divorce with your husband, and you're in this new phase where you've taught yourself something from the ground up and you're, I'm sure, going through many challenges as you're going going through this learning process and putting yourself out there in a different way. So how do you keep yourself grounded? How do you take care of yourself? Especially since you're not traveling as much because you're finishing your projects. I think for me, one of the biggest things I learned was to be able to say no and be okay with that. That to me is one of the biggest self-care things that I can give anybody because I think as women, we're natural caretakers. And so we always want to say yes or take care of other people. And I learned that, you know what, if I'm not feeling it, if it doesn't fit in my schedule, it's okay for me to say no, that it doesn't work for me. And it doesn't matter whether they get upset or why or whatever. Cause I said, it doesn't, <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? Like when I say, if I, if that was one of the biggest things I could take away from anything, it's like be okay with saying no, because too many times I think, um, and not to say there are not some men that do it, but I definitely think as women, it's like, we'll say yes to things that we don't really want to say yes to, you know, whether it's friends, family or whatever, because we, we feel like we have to, or it's the thing that we should do, but it's okay to say no when it doesn't work for you, when it's unhealthy for you, when it's whatever, if you just don't want to do it, you know what I'm saying? And so that's one of the biggest ways that I take care of myself. You know, sometimes I'm just kind of like, you know, 
when people want to, you know, go do something that I just kind of like, mm, not feeling it today. I need, I need to relax. You know what I'm saying? Um, one of the other things that I try to do is just get out and take like walks where it's just, you know, me. And, you know, a lot of times I like music at that time because music is another thing for me that really kind of just relaxes me and I love music. And so I'll just get my, you know, phone, put on some Spotify and like take a walk. Um, and even just times where like, I wasn't usually a nap person cause I always felt like I've missed something. <laughs> but now occasionally like, you know, I'm just like, you know, I'm gonna go in here and take an hour nap. Like you guys can call me later. <laughs> Um, you know, that's a way sometimes for me, especially when I've been writing a lot and you're looking at a, you know, keep a screen like for so many, so long, like my eyes get tired. And so sometimes I'm like, you know, I just want to rest my body. Um, so I take naps. Um, I've been trying to be way better about like eating better. <laughs> I love food. I'm a person that loves food and not always the healthy kinds. <laughs> so I've been trying to take better care of my body just getting older, it's like, you know, I want to lose a little bit of weight. So I've been trying to be better about what I eat, be kind to my body, because it's the only one that I have. Um, so that's another way that I try to take care of myself is just eating better and treating my body better. Um, but yeah, for me, it's just simple things like that. And even just getting out and doing things that I love, like, and sometimes doing them at times when other people think I should be doing other things. Like sometimes I'll go to the movie in the middle of the day during the week. Cause I'm just like, because I can, <laughs> um, because again, I love movies. And so that for me is like always a nice thing to kind of just go and relax and veg out. I'm like, Oh, I'm just going to watch this movie for two hours and like, you know, not even think about anything. Yeah. Um, so sometimes I like doing that on at unexpected times, not like cause it's a weekend and it's nine o'clock at night or something like that. Sometimes I'm like, you know what? It's 12 o'clock on a Monday. I'm going to a movie <laughs> cause I want to, and I need to. <laughs> Exactly. So it sounds like, mm -hmm. Oh no, I was just going to say, sometimes I feel like you just have to treat yourself. It doesn't matter what's going on or what somebody else thinks, feels, believes, but it's just something that you need. And I think you should, you know, I try to, when my body says do something, I've been like, okay, I'm going to do that. Cause that's what it's telling me that I need right now. <laughs> so it sounds like you've just been finding or uh, indulging in ways of being with yourself and the things that move you. Yes. It's funny because it's like, you know, obviously I'm getting at a certain age. I'll be 40 next year. I just turned 39, um, like, what, two weeks ago? Um, <laughs> and, you know, obviously it's like, I really would like to have a kid and I try not to listen to that, you know, what the world says or like my biological clock is ticking. Because what I don't want to do, obviously, having had already one divorce... I'm just like, I don't want to rush myself into another relationship. I want a relationship and I want to, you know, be married again, but I also don't want to do it just because I'm in a rush. So Tell I've me. been, yeah. So, you know, I've just been trying to learn to like love myself and, you know, just enjoy being single. Um, Cause I think we, you know, as women again, it's like, you know, society is like, Oh, when are you going to get, I mean, I still get asked now and I'm just like, why do you care so much about my life? Um, but it's like, you know, when I'm good and ready and I find the right person, I mean, the, I, the one thing I will say is, you know, divorce and things like that gives you the beauty of hindsight. You know what you will and won't put up with on the next time around. So it's like, you know, I get people that are interested, but then it's like they like 
you know, they'll say something and I'm just like, oh yeah, and you just lost it for me. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> at this point in my life, I'm just like, you know, I'm a grown ass woman. I know what I want and I know what I don't want. And I know what I will and won't put up with and that kind of thing and what I'm worth. And so it's like, if somebody can't meet me there, if somebody's not willing to give the 110% I know I am, then you are not about this life with me. <laughs> um, and so, you know, I'm just, I just, when it's going to happen, it's going to happen. I don't want to force it because I don't want to then later on down the road be in another situation like I was already in, you know, and find myself. And not to say that I could do everything right and it's going to, you know, it could happen. But I don't want to give their, give it any cause to not work out the second time around. So I'm just going to like, God, you know what I want. And, you know, you know, I'm not getting any younger. <laughs> <laughs> but, you know, I try not to worry so much about, like, you know, keep looking at my watch like, ooh, when am I going to, you know. Um, just, you know, it's when it's right and that right person comes along, I'm going to know. Right now, that person hasn't come along that I see fitting with what I see my life as. So at this point, I'm not willing to make any sacrifices or like, oh, okay, like, I guess I'll just take that. No, I'm not settling. I want exactly what I want. (laughs) And maybe some people might look at that like, girl, but I'm like, hey, I can have exactly what I want. I just have to be willing to wait on it. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) It sounds like, I mean, you putting yourself out there in the best ways possible. I mean, she's eating right. She's getting her walks in, even though she can't hear the men hollering at her because she got her Spotify playing. She has her fro out. You know what I mean? Well, you know, I'm not from believer that, you know, even as much as, you know, and even like I said, you know, when you try to hide like your feelings or your insecurities, or your flaws or whatever, pe- other people see that. And I think men see those things. You know what I'm saying? So it's like, I can't not love myself and then think that I'm going to attract the right kind of person that I'm looking for. So all I can do is love myself so that I'll attract what I want. Um, So, you know, that's what I've just been trying to do. Like, you know, take care of me, be about me, not in like a selfish way, but it's like, I think I'm pretty cool. So, you know, (laughs) I want to find somebody that thinks that too. Not somebody that sees, you know, all the stuff I'm trying to hide and like, ooh, how can I exploit that? Or use it, you know what I'm saying? Because you see men do that all the time. They, Whether it's, you know, women that maybe grew up without fathers and they see that need. Or, you know, women that don't feel good about themselves and they see a way to exploit that. And so it's like, I don't want to be susceptible to any of these dudes that are like, oh, I can get her because she already doesn't think enough of herself, if you know what I'm saying. Mm-hmm. So it's like, no, I want to do it to come correct. And I want to be able to say, no, I see what game you're trying to play. And you need to step off and go find somebody else that will deal with that bull because it's not me. Hello. Uh, Goodbye. <laughs> exactly. So you know what I'm saying? I'm just like, I'm not a girl anymore. I'm not a child. I'm a grown woman and I need a grown man who is ready to walk that life with me. And so, you know, I'm just trying to be ready for that because, you know, we all come with a little bit of baggage. There's no getting around that, especially at this age. I have no but, idea what you're talking about. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, I'm not, I, I just don't want to bring any extra to it. <laughs> Um, speaking of your love of music, um, something I like to ask my ladies, is there a song lyric or a poem that's speaking to you these days? That's always so tough because I, I do, I love poetry and I used to, well, I still do write some occasionally, not as much as I used to. Um, and then I'm always listening to music and 
I feel like there's always some song or songs that like speak to me uh, um, and things like that. Um, what lately? I'm trying to think of things I've had in like heavy rotation on Spotify. Um, I have to say, I still like it, may be an older song, but um, Alicia Keys Superwoman always like just that's one I know that I've still had on heavy rotation lately. And I think because it just gets me in that sense of like, you know, I got this. Um, because I just love the kind of empowerment that that song gives off. Um, so that's one that definitely speaks to me. Um, some for other reasons, like I said, I'm a, like, I love a song that kind of has like a melancholy, like tune and lyrics to it, even though they kind of make me sad a little bit, but I kind of love those songs. Like one that forever will always speak to me that like I just absolutely love is um Al Green's Simply Beautiful. I love the lyrics to that song. Um yeah. sometimes it makes me cry. <laughs> but I just absolutely love it in its simplicity and its beauty and you know just oh God he just sings the hell out of that song. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um and then somebody else that maybe other people might be like, what? I like love Tom Waits. Um I'm a huge fan. And, like, I love the lyrics of the songs, like, San Diego Serenade, like, there's lyrics where he talks, he just talks about all these different things of, like, you know, and especially I think it's relevant as you get older is that you had a lot of thoughts about things, you know, he talks about leaving the West Coast and then appreciating it later after he's left, you know, it's like, you don't really always have that appreciation for things until it's, like, gone or you've experienced it, but you're not there anymore, different things like that. And so there's something about his lyrics in that song that always make me kind of like nostalgic um, or even just kind of wistful. So, so yeah, I, like I said, I kind of like to be sad when I listen to music. Um, I, I love a lot of like ballads and sad songs. So, cause I really get into like the lyrics of what they're saying. I just have this mental picture of you like, with your hair all out and you just sitting down like, okay, time to cry. And like your face falls <laughs> as the music turns on. <laughs> time to pull these emotions out. I think that music a lot of times is therapy like that though. I, I find that musicians, lyricists, they are able to put words and a mood to the music that, is just so extremely relatable. It's really hard to like describe yeah. how. Tell that, you what, how, do you do you know I could not listen to um, Adele's like original one that was it something mm -hmm. that one like because that came out a little bit around the time that I was like getting a divorce and too much too I soon, heard, too much too yeah, soon. <laughs> Come on, I would literally slam the radio off like, oh my god, I will be like a blubbering mess if I like, listen to this song. Stop telling my business. I'm not ready to talk about it. Yeah, no. So there were there were literally some songs I would just like not. Or it took me a long time to be able to listen to them. One of which, because I love Indiari, but she had this one called um, "Good Morning." Uh, uh, yes, "Good Morning" was yes, one. Yes, ma'am. Yes, oh my god, hear that song! And I would literally like ball my eyes, and it's a beautiful song. Like to this, yeah. can listen to it, and yes. I love it. Um, you know, but at the time, like, it was just very hard because it was like, that was my life. <laughs> too much, um, too soon. Yeah. yeah. 
like gorgeous like you said the words in that song it was just so deep and like meaningful and like oh my god like she just and then of course her voice is just amazing um laura mvula went through a divorce as well are you familiar with her laura mvula that name sounds familiar i was trying to get her face in my head she's a a british uh singer black Ah, lady yes i know your time on now okay so like that whole album was just yeah wreckage yeah (laughs) so gorgeous in its painfulness like yeah (sighs) but yes i've got to go find that album now (laughs) yes Um, i'll message it to you um okay so i want to make sure that we big up your work so your let me make sure I have my facts straight one moment. I was looking up the lyrics to the songs you had mentioned before. <laughs> I got off my page. Okay. So your first book, Redemption of the Heart, is available on all outlets where books are available, correct? Yes. And that one you can even get in print. Like if you wanted to, like uh, you should be able to order on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, or any of those for the print, if you wanted a print version of it. And so that's your first romance novel. And then the second, Awakened, is your paranormal romance about the Oracle Willow. And that one just got released, or it's about to be released. Yeah, it's in pre-order right now, and then it gets released on July 9th. Um, Okay. It's still probably going to be, I'd say, like, once it's released, it'll probably be another week or two before that one's available in print. But that one's also available on, like, uh, Barnes & Noble, um, Kobo, um, Apple, Google Play, and all of that, along with Amazon. Most people tend to buy from Amazon, though, but I do like to try to make it available on all platforms. Okay. So, um, currently, that's how listeners can support your writing. Is there any other kind of support you're looking uh, for from listeners? Um, You know, what's always helpful, obviously, for writers or anybody that, you know, sells a product is for people to sign up for the newsletter, because it's another way, like if Facebook, you know, fell off the map tomorrow, if I had someone's, you know, email address, I could still make them aware of, you know, my books. And so for a writer, growing an email list is very important. So um, my website is moniboyce.com, my name. And there at the top, running across the top of the page, you can click on the newsletter and sign up. So that's another way to support is signing up for the newsletter. Okay. I and promise I'll only put anything in your inbox like twice a month. <laughs> <laughs> but, but it should be good because you're a writer, so it doesn't matter. <laughs> um, so as you are making your plans, oh, I wanted to also highlight Speaking of plans, I wanted to highlight that you are a board member of All Things Are Possible, the nonprofit, or can you talk about that a little bit? Yes. So one of the women that I started out traveling with when I left to go travel for a full year, she had the idea while we were all out traveling, like, oh, I want to mentor young girls and um, uh, especially, you know, that come from like underprivileged areas and may not have access to travel. Um, because she had been in the military at one point. Her name is Keisha Dancy. Um, and so she was like, you know, I really want to be able to give back. And so sometimes, you know, you hear people talk or say they want to do things and it never happens. So, you know, we end the year and she, you know, emails me, calls me up or whatever. And is all like, hey, I've been, you know, she'd be putting, she had been putting the 501c3 status together to make it, you know, a real thing. And so, um, 
Um, in 20, let's see, 2017, we started making plans for the first inaugural trip to happen in 2018. And so um, June of last year, we took seven girls to Columbia for um, 10 days. And so it was very amazing to see these young girls, some of which had never left the U.S., get to have this international experience. Um, but it's not even just about the, the trips or whatever. Throughout the year, um, because it, it's set up in Tennessee, so um, I don't get to be a part of it all year round. I do help do a lot of the planning in terms of like um, trying to figure out the next location that the girls will go on their trips and that kind of thing. But throughout the year there in Tennessee, because it's right now it's only open to um, girls within that area of uh, Mem the, the greater Memphis area. Okay. Um, but um, she does a lot of mentoring with them. And then they also do a lot of volunteer activities. So I know um, at one point they did a volunteer activity around Christmas where they gave coats and things like that to people in need. Um, so they had uh, collected a lot of coats and different things to give out to people that were in need there. They volunteered with different organizations. And so it's a really good um, mentorship opportunity for these girls to get involved. Like it helps them with their schoolwork. They learn about leadership, you know, about being, you know, an empowered woman. Um, and then they also get the opportunity to see the world. So it's really a great organization. Um, as you said, all things are possible. Um, if you look that up on Facebook, there is a Facebook page. And on there, there's also a donate button. Um, if you want to donate and help, um, cause the thing is the organization usually pays for half of the girls expenses to go on these trips and then they have to do some fundraising throughout the year. So they have a little bit of skin in the game. So it's not just like given to them. Okay. Um, they do have to, um, help raise funds for it as well, but obviously donations do help. Yes. That is so wonderful. That's one of the few organizations that I've heard of. I'm sure there are more, but I'm just not aware of them. But I love that giving the underprivileged girls a chance because um, some of the ladies that I talked to, they come from travel families. And yeah. a lot of times little girls from Midwest <laughs> like me exactly, have yeah. no exposure. Yeah. And but, I think it's one thing that broadens their minds, allows them yes. to see more. There's a bigger world out there beyond. Literally. Literally. Yeah. And so that's what I loved about it because, um, you know, and it's like, cause I've done other projects, uh, with, um, like underprivileged youth. I remember going to Chicago like years ago and I remember trying to do this class where we were like building the story and I'm like, tell me some places where the story would take place. And they would only name places that were like local. And I'm like, no, it can be beyond that. Outside. But it was just like in their brains, it just did not compute that there was something outside of Chicago. Yes. Um, and it was such a wake up call for me because I was like, because, you know, like you said, I come from a travel family. I, I mean, you know, being in a military family, you see so many parts of the world at some point. Um, and so for me, it was so like mind boggling that they couldn't. You know, but it's just like, you know, everybody has their different experiences in life. And so that shapes us. And so I want to see it start happening younger. You see a lot of times with the white kids where it's like whether through school or their parents having the means that they get to experience things like, you know, younger. And I want to see that for, you know, black, black and brown kids as well, that it's like, no, you don't have to wait till you get older. No, you don't have to, you know that there is a world now that you can go see. And that's what I love about this organization is that it gives them that opportunity to see things now and not it just be a wish or a hope. Um, 
And so that's why I love what she's doing and that she like has stuck to it. You know, it's not easy setting up, you know, a nonprofit and she's gone through a lot. You know, I think she, right now she's even taking grant writing courses, you know, so she can start um, being better about um, being able to go after more money and things like that. And so she's really dedicated to this. Like, um, I love her so much. She's like such a, an exceptional <laughs> woman, you know, like, because that can be like a full-time thing within, within itself. And there's so much of her own money that she's put in to make sure that these girls have this wonderful experience. And so it really is a great organization. Thank you for sharing that. I would love to um, help post about this like everywhere because it's just yeah, no, so gorgeous. What I'll do is I'll email you some other information um, either tonight or tomorrow because I might see if she has some new materials. Um, she may be out of town, so it may take me a second to get you some of the things. Um, but yeah, but no, I'll definitely get you more information because I'm sure she would love that. And given the platform that you have and being that you're in travel, it would that would mean the world to her. So yes, and share with all you all you lady listeners, or if you're not a lady listener, whatever. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. <now. laughs> um, I wanted to ask you too. So. I'm Moni and it's time for me to write and I sit down at my laptop and what do I do? What, what do I open? Um, do you use outlines when you write? Like how does your writing process happen? I have to say like in writing, you'll hear people use the terms pantser and plotter. I've usually been a pantser. Usually I just usually sit down and write. I have a like, you know, somewhat loose idea of what I'm going for, but I literally just let it happen. Um, with this series, it, I couldn't do that <laughs> uh, because I'm like, okay, I have four books and they have to, you know, um, there's certain things I may start off in book one talking about, but I actually don't like, you know, reveal something about it till like later on. So I, I had to plot. Um, so I have to say, before I start writing at all, I always pray <laughs> only because it's just like, that's kind of like, open up the floodgates. Let me be able, I don't want to have writer's block. So I always pray. <laughs> Sometimes I will put on music if I'm feeling like that kind of a, some days I need complete silence. It just depends on like my mood or what kind of headspace I'm in. Um, and then usually with this one, like right now I'm working on book two and, um, it was a lot of research at the beginning because this one's taking place in um, another country. One of the countries I haven't been to before, like um, the other one I had. So I had a lot to go off of with that one. Um, but the other country I hadn't been to. So I needed to, because for a lot of times it's like you want, you, you want to immerse someone in the locations or the setting that you're setting up. And so I was like, okay, well, I don't want to half-ass this. I really need to, you know, know what it is that I'm talking about. You know, I don't want to get those readers like, I've been there and she doesn't know what she's talking about. Uh, <laughs> so I really wanted to, like, sit down and really, like, I mean, I've been pouring over, like, how would I get there? Even if I don't say, like, I just want to know that information for myself. Because it's like, I like to, even though this is a paranormal story, I want there to be some reality to it in terms of, what it is in in the settings that I'm talking about. So, but not even just that, like, you know, all books, especially when it comes to dealing with like myth, you know, there's like a gazillion vampire stories, but they all have a different myth attached to them. 
Right. And so there were things with my books too, where I'd sit down and say, okay, are my vampires the true blood vampires or the, the, the vampire diary vampires? Like what kind of vampires are they? So it's like, I started having to research like all the myths that I could pull up on vampires, all the myths that I could pull up on werewolves and, you know, all these different things to start what I call, you know, what we call world building. Right. So I had to create and build my world before I could actually start writing because that was going to inform the story. Um, and so I did actually do quite a bit of like planning. I wouldn't say so much plotting. Like I would say I plotted somewhat, but it was more loose. Like, okay, I know I need to have a scene where, you know, she learns, you know, X, Y, and Z, but I didn't, you know, some people will kind of plot out a whole scene, like almost write like a paragraph about it. And then it's literally more so going in and plugging in details. I don't do that because for me, it's like, I like things to feel organic when I write. And so it just flows better when I'm sitting at my computer and it's like, I might have my general notes or beats that I know I need to hit, but it's just going to flow and come out. <laughs> and so I know some people be like, Hmm, okay. Um, <laughs> but some people are there plotters and they plot like down to every single detail that does not work for me. My brain doesn't work that way. Mm -hmm. um, so for me, like I said, it's gotta be like when I wrote my first one, for instance, Literally how that one came into being is I was, at the time I was writing scandal fan fiction. So I had this scandal fan okay. fiction. Yeah, I'd had the scandal fan fiction that I'd written. And then I was like, I came across this website where I saw there were a lot of other women posting original, original stories. And so I was like, oh, I'm going to write something original. So I literally would come home from working like a 16, 18 hour day being on a set and type a chapter a night and then post it on the site to get feedback. So literally it was just me writing the story, not knowing exactly where I was heading, but within, I want to say I finished that one. Cause it's like, like I said, I would write like a chapter a night. And then sometimes I like kind of fell off, like if I was tired. So I started like really heavily, like, Ooh, I'm a chapter a night. And then I kind of fell off here and there, but I'd say anywhere from like six to eight months, I finally had like this, the, I finished my book essentially. <laughs> Um, and so from there, I was just like, I think I kind of like writing. I mean, before when I was younger, I wrote like a lot of short stories and poetry and that kind of thing. But I think right, sitting down and writing that book and even doing the scandal fan fiction really gave me even more of a love of telling the story. And so that's when, um, like I said, that's how I even got into ghost writing was because I was just like, I wanted to keep writing. Um, and at that point I was just like, oh, I can get paid to do it. <laughs> Um, so yeah, so for me, it's very much of just getting in, you know, I have this, um, area set up in my room where my desk is like, it's kind of covered in post-its cause I'm, I like to write notes um, to myself. Um, sometimes they're in my phone, but a lot of times I'll write them on post-its at my desk and that way I can just grab the post-it that I need. Um, <laughs> but, and then also too, I don't, I'm not really one of those people that jump around. I have to write in a linear fashion. Um, every now and again, I might have a scene that I wrote at a sequence, but for the most part, I write my stories linearly. So from beginning to end, um, I don't jump around. Um, but yeah, sometimes I, I put on music. Um, sometimes I just like being in the quiet and sometimes it'll depend on the scene. Like when I have to write the sex scene, sometimes it does have to put on some kind of music that might get me in the mood if I oh, were yeah, in the <laughs> Um, and then sometimes for some, I just need that like peace and quiet so that the words come because that's the other thing is like, I'm big on like, how can I make this sound 
you know, better. Like I always try to, you know, get away from using the same words over and over again. So I always keep a thesaurus open on my laptop um, and that kind of thing. So I can go in and be like, oh, I might've used that word too much. Like, how can I, you know, change it up? Um, uh, so yeah, so I'm very much just like, you know, I don't have like a, a certain set routine, but I definitely, cause sometimes I'll even write at Starbucks. Um, you know, it just depends. Um, but yeah, for the most part, it's, you know, kind of just flowing out of me. The series is the only one that's been somewhat different because it's a series and I'm trying to make sure that I adhere to certain things that I've already set up or, you know, um, have told my audience. So I try to make sure that I'm paying attention to those things. So, so for that reason, I do have to plot out a little bit more than I normally would, but yeah, I usually just sit down say a prayer and then start writing. <laughs> and when you were figuring out like how to market your writing, were there any resources in particular that were helpful for you? Yes, there were so many. Um, I actually had a friend who, um, he actually writes nonfiction, but he was still self-publishing and he was a huge help and resource. His name is Vidbugs. Um, and so he was really helpful to me. Um, but the other resources that I found that were really helpful was actually RWA, which is the Romance Writers Association. Um, they have a lot of great like webinars that they offer when you're a member, as well as... Um, each state usually has a few chapters. So I'm part of the Virginia chapter here and I usually go to the um, once monthly meetings. But then again, we also do sometimes webinars where it's just online that if you want to take part. And it can be anywhere from things about craft, like how to write better. Sometimes it's about, you know, writing as a business and how to, you know, um, make writing more of a career and a business than just, you know, you're just writing. And that kind of thing. So that's been helpful. There's lots of online sites. Like I follow a lot of bloggers like David Gogren, um, The Writing Gals. Um, uh, there's a lot of great Facebook groups too that are completely free and full of resources and people that are very knowledgeable like 20 Books to 50K, The Indie Cover Project. Um, also, the um, there's a great one, The Black Women's Writers Group. Uh, for romance, that's a really good one. Um, brand is like the initials, so I think I'm getting some of those out of order. Um, but there's so many, like Facebook, if you put in like writing groups, like there are so many great ones where you're going to find people just willing to share, you know, especially if it's like you don't necessarily have the means or the money to pay for, because some courses can, like right now I'm in the Mark Dawson's Ads for Authors course that's teaching me how to be better with doing like Facebook ads and Amazon ads and bookbub ads because you know unfortunately that is the nature of any business you've got to pay for marketing and advertising to be successful and so it's the same with books like I've got to pay for those ads to reach a wider audience so I wanted to know how to do them better so uh, Mark Dawson's another really good one especially when you're talking about how to market your book um, but there and then there's also just great um, books on um, craft uh, and even ones that, like, for me, I already kind of knew about from being in film that were screenwriters, like Lou Hunter's screenwriting book. Uh, you've got Script. Um, was it Save the Cat? There's so many, um, like, great ones that I have that I haven't even gotten yet. Because for me, it's like, I'm always trying to make my writing better. Um, and so I'm always looking for, like, what's the next thing? Who's the next person that I can buy a course from or whatever? And I always feel it's an investment in myself and what I'm trying to do because I don't feel like people get to be like these 
you know, we want to call them overnight successes, but you don't know all the things that went on in the background or, you know, behind the scenes that they were doing to get there. It wasn't a fluke. It wasn't, you know, it was hard work. It was investing in themselves and that kind of thing. And so for me, it's like, I don't mind spending the money if it means that I'm going to be better, you know, or learn something more and that kind of thing. Because again, my name and my brand is my business. And so for me, it's like, I want to be a brand in a business that people want to keep buying book for, books from. And the only way that's going to happen is if I invest in myself and learn more and be better. So. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so right now you are uh, trying to hunker down to finish your books. Do you see yourself being able to write and travel in the future? Oh, Yes. That's my plan in 2020 is to basically be on the road while I'm writing right now, because it's like this year I told myself, I was like, I was going to use 2019 to kind of be more stable in terms of like not moving around or going on too many trips so that I could really fine tune things. Because I think that you can tell yourself, you know, it all or, or, you know, different things like that, or like I'm ready for something and you might not be. And I wanted to be a little bit more stable in my writing business before I like started really jumping around or was going to be somewhere else for a longer period of time, because I know they say, was it um, two weeks? Something's, but you know, something becomes a habit. I feel like, you know, this is a whole lifestyle change and I wanted to be able to go like travel again, long-term and not feel like, Oh, I'm going on vacation. I wanted to feel like, no, this is my life. And so I still have to write while I'm away. And it was really helpful because in Toronto, I actually did that. The last day I was there, I didn't do any sightseeing. I just literally sat in my Airbnb and wrote. Um, and so it's been a lot of like discipline to be like, if I'm going to do this the rest of my life, if I want this to be how I make my money and hopefully make like six, seven figures doing it, then I have to be disciplined. I actually, because the thing is your readers expect, you know, books at a certain time. And so right now with my series, they're coming out with like in a month of each other. So I'm like, I have a series to write, which is supposed to take me through um, October. So it's literally putting out almost like a book a month, um, which is what a lot of writers do who are full time. And so hopefully by the end of the year, I will have five books that are out um, um, once I complete the series. And then I'll probably take a slight break before I jump into the next thing. But the thing is, you know, you're trying to stay current with, current and relevant with your readers. So it's like the, and then also the more books you have out, the more money you're making if you're mm -hmm. doing it right. <laughs> so for me, it's like building, you know, uh, a good backlist of books that I have to market, even when I'm still putting something new out, because I want to be drawing an income from those as well. So does, does your current way of making money writing that's going to impact how you travel because before you're just used to being like a pure tourist, right? Yeah. Or, or you like lived somewhere so you could travel at ease. Yes. Part of it's like just, um, what I liked about traveling for the full year was that like I stayed in locations longer. It gave me like a home base. Like right now I'm back to kind of like, Oh, I'm going somewhere for a week and I'm coming back. In 2020, I'd love to be like, you know, what? I'm going to go to wherever for three months and just chill. Like, I'm going to live there, essentially, like live and not be a tourist. Like, you know, my day to day, I might not leave the place where I'm staying at at all if I'm, you know, writing or something like that. But it'll be because I'm more of 
living there than I'm being a tourist. And right. so to me, it's always a difference. Like, um, cause when you've traveled long-term and as you, I know, um, I know you have or whatever, you know, it's like, you are, you know, you're living in this location now. You're not like they're trying to hit all the, you know, you're not doing the usual touristy things that you do. And that's what I'm kind of looking to get back into is because like that was the part of travel that I really loved was, you know, getting off the beaten path, doing the things that people that live here, you know, this is their home. You know, what is it that they do? Not like, oh, I'm in Paris. I've got to see the Eiffel Tower. No, what what do what do the natives do? Yeah. Um, and that's the part of travel that I'm really looking to get back into because that's what I loved was just kind of like immersing myself and like living in a place for a while and just appreciating it, not just appreciating the touristy. And don't get me wrong. Cause like, that's all great and wonderful. If that's the only time you're going to go, yes, hit the Eiffel tower, do the things. But you know, for me as a traveler now, sometimes I'm just like, I want to go and just be, um, you know, I don't have to hit like every spot that's on the map. I don't have to, you know, I just want to like enjoy it. Um, so I like, I like slow travel a little bit more these days. Um, so that's kind of what I'm hoping to do in 2020. I have some places that I'm interested. Like I really want to go to Vietnam for like three or four months and just like be. <laughs> yes, absolutely. I, I, that's one of the things I love about slow traveling as well. It takes time to orient yourself. Like it doesn't matter how many blogs you read before or how many vlogs you watch, um, you're not going to know a place until you're there, especially exactly. from that local perspective. And there are things that you're going to be interested in, like as a foodie and as a writer and as a music lover that like other people just aren't. So like finding the things that that speak to you, that bring a place alive to you, that that takes time to find that. Exactly. And so you you can't do that when you rush it or, you no. know, you're you know, trying to, you know, because I usually like to try to find like, okay, where can I go to that I'm going to find locals that will talk to me, right. you know, because again, I am a stranger in a strange land, so to speak, or, you know, just a stranger in a land. And so it's also trying to get them to, you know, welcome you and not see you as just somebody who's passing through. Sometimes depending on where you're at, that can be a little bit harder than other places. Yeah, because they're used to high turnover. They're used to people yeah. coming and leaving. Exactly. So, so being specifically a black woman as you're traveling uh, in your experience, I mean, you couldn't tell me from a white woman's experience, but <laughs> you, you can tell me from your experience. Uh, you live, you lived in Germany, but you mostly grew up in America. So, how do you I'm feel sorry. in your skin with your hair? You know, for the most part, and I think it was um, in a lot of the areas I grew up in, a lot of times I was the only or like a handful of. So from a young age, I had to get used to being the only. So and then going into a space like film or behind the camera, most of the time I was dealing with either it was Lily White or it was just about all men. And I was the exception of being one of a handful of women and in film, I dealt more with it being a woman than even my blackness. A lot of times it was like men didn't like the fact that I was the one calling the shots. Mm -hmm. um, and so when I go out into the world, it's funny because 
I open my mouth and I'm just an American in some countries, you know what I'm saying? Not to say yeah. that they don't necessarily see blackness, but the first thing they hear is American. I'm an American. Um, so in some parts of the world, I don't even really have to deal with my blackness as much as even I would say I have to deal with it here in the U.S. Because <laughs> for them, it's just like they're so excited to be talking to an American or being able to ask questions about the U.S. Um Every now and again, if I get into a little bit deeper, you know, a lot of people around the world are aware of the injustices that happen here. Because I remember once, I forgot where I was at exactly, and this man was just like, man, Black people have it rough there. And I was just so struck by that, that, you know, in my head, I was like, man, I want to see the news here. How do you know, like, how bad it is when we can't even get white people here in the U.S. to see that things are unjust? Um so, you know, it's very fascinating to me. And at the time when I was traveling um, for the full year, it actually was right around the time of the Trump election. I voted in an absentee ballot because I wasn't in the country. But I remember we were in Bali. And of course, with the time difference, we had, you know, we finally went to bed because we were just like, hopefully we wake up in the morning. Let's hope for the best. Of course, we wake up to Trump is now president. And I actually cried real tears. I was very upset. Um and so it's one of those things, like, after that point, like, no matter where we went, they learned we were American. The first question we would get asked was about Trump. Like, how could you guys vote him in the office? Um, we, we, at one point, we started telling ourselves, well, maybe we should say we're Canadian. <laughs> <laughs> so I will say, like, usually when I deal with being Black in a country, I will say the one place where I actually felt my Blackness more so than any other, of course, was the two days I spent in Moscow, and this was clearly, like, I was there in 2015, so it was before all the Trump, Putin, all that stuff. Um, but it was definitely feeling like an animal in a cage um, that, you know, um, and it was, I, <laughs> it was funny because our poor tour guide, I think she was, like, more embarrassed than we were in terms of just, like, she was embarrassed by her countrymen. Like, people were literally, like, snapping picture of us without asking permission, like chasing us down the street. Like one woman literally had her camera on like a selfie stick, trying her best like to keep up with us and get us in her shot. But instead of just saying, hey, is it okay? You know, cause my whole thing is I get some of you obviously maybe have never seen a black person before in your life or something, I don't know. But I don't mind taking a picture with you if you ask me, but when you treat me like I'm an animal in a zoo, it's very disconcerting. And you know, and it, it's Moscow is beautiful and most of the people were pretty nice, but there were a handful of people that, you know, gave us those looks and you, you know, the look when it's like, what the F are you doing here? And those kinds of things without them having to say it for the most part, it was nice, but it was one of those countries in my head. I was like, would I ever come back here? I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, that was probably one of the only times where I've had a really negative experience that, and we even got, we got detained at the airport <laughs> getting into the country. And if you've ever had to get a Russian, visa you're like what in the world like we had to like you know give where we were staying like we had to um book um a, with a tour company and show that we were going to be on a tour while we're, there were all these things that you have to do your russian visa plus it's expensive but we had this you know long like wait of being there we, i think we had like i said almost 48 hours so we we're like well i'm gonna get a visa so we can go into the city 
But, you know, we got detained for like 45 minutes. They treated us horribly. Um, and then they finally released us, like I said, 45 minutes later. But, you know, the woman that was our tour guide that day was very nice. We even did an eat with experience in someone's home. And she was super cool. I think we're still Facebook friends. Um, <laughs> So, you know, there's a, like, you know, I try to not let like one bad experience spoil the whole thing. Because like I said, I try to make everything, you know, what I put into it is what I'm going to get out of it. So I try to like wait, wipe the slate clean a little bit and not let the first negative thing impact the whole rest of the trip. But like I said, just dealing with the constant like, oh, my God, it's, you know, like it's black people. <laughs> um, that was it wears on you a little bit. And I'm, of course, with us having big froze, I'm sure did not like, you made us even stand out even further. <laughs> mm -hmm. um, and I will say, and actually, you know, I will say that is one thing I love about traveling is my hair because I can't tell you how many pictures I've taken with people, um, especially traveling through Asian countries. Like in Malaysia, I remember we were at the, I love Kuala Lumpur sign. Mm -hmm. I love kale and everything. And there was this group of, I want to say Japanese tourists that got off the bus. And we must have taken a picture with like 23 different people. Um, <laughs> and, we made, and all of them is because of our hair. Um, you know, and it was funny because <laughs> at one point it was just me and my friend Rita traveling together. And Rita's completely bald. Like she has no hair. So it's like me with all the hair and then her with no hair. And they just got the biggest kick out of that. So we would take pictures <laughs> with people. Um, you know, um, and you know, I love that. It gets people talking to you. It's a great conversation starter. Um, oh my so goodness. Part of it I love because for them, it's just like, they're so in awe of it. They're like, oh my God, this is amazing. Um, so I love that. For some reason in Moscow, there was just a difference. Everybody was not like loving the blackness. It was kind of like, why are you in her country? Um, so that made it a little like, eh, I don't know if I'd come back. And obviously right now with the way things are politically, I definitely don't know if it's the best place to travel to right now. But it's it's a beautiful country. Once things change, maybe some years down the road, I would recommend it to people because it's definitely a beautiful country. And it's, Russia's just huge. Like, I don't think I realized just like the vastness of that area, but it's it's huge. Yeah. Um, there's lots of different parts of it. See, I only got to see Moscow, but, um, I just heard it's an amazing, beautiful, um, terrain. Like there's so many different areas that are just like stunning. Um, but right now, probably not so much. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so for the most part, if anybody makes me see my blackness while I'm traveling, it's when I run into other Americans. <laughs> okay. That's interesting. Well, because usually, you know, you run into the white ones that are almost like, you can travel? Like, they're basically saying, you can afford to travel? <laughs> not that, uh, not the lilt. Oh, my God. Like, yes. you can travel? <laughs> you know, because it's like they're saying it without saying it. And you almost want to be like, yes, bitch, I can travel too. <laughs> <laughs> yes. But and I won't say they're all like that, but you, you, you come across the type where they're like, you know, they hear that you're American and it's like, you were able to get out of the country. It's like, yes. They let you out? How? Yes. Like, I have the white passport and you have like the black passport. Yeah. Because It's funny enough because I was in South Africa going on a safari and I had a couple like that. Seemingly they were nice, but then, like I said, they started asking a lot of those questions. Yeah. Like, you know, how can you afford to be here type of thing? 
Yeah. Um, and, you know, I can see it. It's like they were trying to figure out how I was able to be on the safari. Like, yes, I'm able to afford the safari just like you are. <laughs> <laughs> um, white people don't even, and I don't know where they're from. I, you know, spicy white, whatever, male white. Um, <laughs> they rarely make eye contact. So, like, I don't even have the opportunity to have that inter exchange. Interchange. <laughs> that exchange you know just like keep it pushing so like i've learned to like not because like what's the point yeah sometimes i I like it's like i try to avoid it and sometimes it's like unavoidable um so i try to just roll with it because i'm just one of those people too it's like i'm gonna kill you with kindness and make you uncomfortable because i know that you're already uncomfortable that i'm here because it's like for instance um I, ha- I know a couple of writers in this area that won't go to the Virginia chapter meetings of RWA. Because the thing is, in romance writing, there's been a <laughs> lot of upheaval, upheaval lately of, like, Blacks getting their due and, you know, us saying, like, you know, we're a part of this, we're here, we're just as good of writers as, you know, our white counterparts. And so, you know, obviously Virginia has its issues. Um, I, you know, and I, you know, I explained to somebody else, I was like, from a young age, I had to deal with being the other. So it doesn't come as much of a shock to me anymore when I walk in a room and I can already pick out the people that are trying to figure out why I'm there. Uh-huh. Uh, my whole thing is I come in just as like, hey, like, you know, and I'm like nice to everybody. And sometimes I'm even nicer to the ones that I know don't want me there. Um, <laughs> only because I'm trying to, because, you know, I tell people, I was like, you're going to leave before I will. <laughs> I was like, I don't tire easily. Miss <laughs> <laughs> so Captain America, is- I could do this all day. Yeah, exactly. So that's my whole thing. It's like, I'm not, you're not making me uncomfortable enough to leave. It's like, I paid my money just like you. So the one who'll be getting up and leaving before any of us is going to be you, not me. Um, You heard it here first, folks. Don't let the smile fool you. No, exactly. Don't. (laughs) You know, and I, sometimes I will read you the right act while I'm smiling at you. So... (laughs) So, yeah, but, you know, it's just like, you know, I'm here. You know what I'm saying? It's like, it's 2019, about to be 2020. I don't play this, make me move to the back of the bus bull, or, you know, you're not welcome here. No, you're not welcome here, because I'm going to be here. <laughs> um, renting my <laughs> being and participating in everything. <laughs> that um, laugh at the end is sending me, because I'm going to be here. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. But, uh, that, that's just how I am. Like, you know, I'm, you know, it's like, love it, leave it, don't like it, whatever. But, you know, I'm gonna do me. And I'm gonna be here in this amongst all of you, even if I'm the only one. Um, you know, because I'm just because my thing is, you know, I'm gonna have my seat at the table, even if that means I got to pull up a chair, squeeze in and bump some people out of the way. Um, hey, uh, could you pass me the coffee? Thank you so much. I, what are you guys talking about? <laughs> yeah, so I, you know, I'm I'm here for when we're like, you know, NAACP or you know, BT and this and that. But I'm also like, no, I want to sit at the Oscar table. Um, you know what I'm saying? Because I'm just like, it's not just for whites. And you know, and that's why I was trying to get the other black writers to come back to the chapter meetings because I'm like, listen, I know the one or two that you're talking about. But I was like, for the most part, I was just like, you know, I'm not going to let anybody turn me away from getting what everybody else is getting. Mm-hmm. And at the end of the day, that's essentially what happens, I feel like, is that, you know, we're like, we're going to go off and form the other or whatever. And it's like, I don't have a problem with that. I'll be part of that, too. But at the same point in turn, it's just like, they're getting some stuff over here that I need to. Yeah. And I'm 
gonna be bullied or belittled or whatever out of getting that. Um, so for me, it's just like, I don't have a problem with being the other. Um, you're not gonna mess with my money, <laughs> first of all. Ever. As I'm here trying to get paid. I'm trying to, you know, for me, this is a business. I love writing, but it's also my livelihood. And so I'm gonna do everything I need to do to make my livelihood happen. And if that means I gotta go over here to Becky, and learn how Becky markets, then let me figure out how Becky markets so I can do that marketing and turn around and come back over here and say, okay, ladies, this is how this works. It's like, for those of you that maybe it is just really too uncomfortable for you to sit there and be the other, I don't mind getting the knowledge and coming back and sharing it. Um, because it's just like, you know, growing up, a lot of times it was like that. I was the only one, you got used to it and you just kept it pushing. And like I said, I, you were going to get told before you told me. <laughs> I mean, you know what I'm saying? It was just like, I'm not going anywhere. So you're going to get used to this face and this laugh because I do. I have a big laugh and usually have a pretty big voice. <laughs> so, you know, it's just like, I'm here. I'm staying. I'm not going anywhere. <laughs> Work. Yes, ma'am. Well, thank you so much. I have so many more questions. <laughs> but We're already running at like two hours. So... Well, you like to talk anytime. <laughs> yes. Oh, my gosh. I that really, really appreciate you. Malaysia, right? Say it again. You're in Malaysia, right? Yes, right now I am. Yeah, so, I mean, this time of night, this is, like, my, like, middle of the day. I'm usually up. I'll be up for, like, a few hours more. Really? Um, oh, right yeah. Like, yeah, nighttime for me is usually sometimes when I write or I get other things done because it's uninterrupted. Everybody else is yeah. already asleep. I don't have to worry about being bothered. <laughs> and I'm just a night person anyway. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, it's like you and I can still talk like another time or something even. Yes. <laughs> but thank you so, so very much. Uh, you've been so open and so warm and like, uh, so many oh, okay. great resources you've shared. I'm, I'm very appreciative of all the information you've shared. Oh, you're welcome. <laughs> okay, I'm gonna stop recording now. Okay. <laughs> Thank you. I'll talk to you soon, okay? Okay. Mm-hmm.